Welcome to Fly on the Wall. My name is Aaron Bennett. And I'm Christian Mesa. And we are here uh, for Fly on the Wall Summer Edition. Fly on the Wall, where I walk to work and it's so hot here that I'm sweating by the time I get there. Oh my god. Well, we'll get to that later. I just want to first say uh, thank you if you're listening to this. We are so excited uh, to be back over the summer and creating awesome content for you. If you can't tell, which you should be able to tell, but if you can't tell, we got all new sound recording equipment. Yeah, honestly, we probably don't sound any different, but honestly, if you're listening to us and you don't hear like pops every five seconds, that's that's the system working. It's the pop filter. <laughs> but like, that out. <laughs> more importantly, it saves me so much time on the back end, like having this equipment. And I think we'll be able to create more content and do more uh, just with this new high-tech setup. So, Shout out to you, Politics. Yeah, thank They're you. The best. They, are, they are our presenting sponsor. Presenting sponsor, GU Politics. Um, anyway, uh, we have an awesome episode for you guys. This is one that Aaron and I have been really excited to do for a while. Um, we're having Alex Gattel on the pod in a few minutes. Who's Alex Gattel, Christian? I'm glad you asked, Aaron. Uh, Alex Gattel is the owner and founder of Independent Journal Review. Well, before we go too heavy into uh, our topic of conversation, uh, a couple of brief announcements that we, we wanted to shout out. Crazy announcements. Crazy announcements. Pod. First, congratulations to John Favreau. On his wedding this weekend, yeah, up in Vermont. I, I, no, Maine. John, if you're Maine, yeah, it was Maine. Same thing. You are fake news. John, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, congratulations <laughs> on as he is what to do. <laughs> as uh, as he and I'm sure the rest of the positive America crew are doing. But I got a lot of <laughs> I got a lot of FOMO recently for not getting invited to this wedding. Yeah, John, what is up with that? <laughs> I mean, like I I follow all of you on Twitter. I listen to all of your podcasts. And, you know, them all talking about, you know, the old Obama gang talking about going to this wedding. I got a lot of FOMO. I was like, why? This hurts. This hurts a little bit, do you John. Think, do you think friend of the pod, Jen Saki, was there? Yeah, she probably was invited. 100%. I'm not going to lie. I think Obama went. Nah. Uh, actually, I'm confirmed. I guess we won't know. I do, okay, this is always a question I have, uh, you know, listeners. Do, do presidents just, like, do they need advice to go to things? Can they just show <laughs> up? Like, if Obama just showed up at your wedding one day, what would you do? Like you would, of course, offer him a seat, offer him What if you don't have a seat? What, like, I feel like you need an RSVP. Kick just, someone out. That rude. weird third cousin that, like, you don't really know his name, but he had to come because Auntie Muriel said that he was an important <laughs> part of the family. <laughs> he, he can go. You know what I mean? I think he's a little bit more important than... Auntie Muriel? We all have an Auntie Muriel. Don't even act like you don't have one. No, we all have an Uncle Bill. I don't have an Uncle Bill. I don't have an Aussie Murray. <laughs> I don't have an Aussie Murray either. <laughs> Wait, you all, okay, when I said Auntie Murray, you all knew who I was talking about. All right, bit of news number two. Last night, uh, and if you didn't see our Facebook Live, 100% would recommend going you know, to watch it. If you guys get the notification that we are on Facebook Live, and just, you did Just turn it off. Yeah, if you did not Passively immediately swipe right. right and go, yep, that's what I want to do <laughs> for the next 20 minutes, you're not a true fan. And literally, you can just tune out now. Literally just like passively have it on in the background while you do anything else like <laughs> just seeing the number go up just makes us feel great anyway if you haven't seen the live stream check it out but we went to the congressional baseball game last night yeah and it was a thrilling match it was like not close it was not, <laughs> not close, close at all i'm gonna here's what i'm gonna say because i'm gonna say this again because you all didn't watch the facebook live these guys were oddly good at baseball <laughs> wait justin just texted me saying why are we lying <laughs> question um, these guys were, like, oddly incredible at baseball. Are we live again? No, I'm on Snapchat. Oh, okay. Um, these guys were so good at baseball. Like, they were stealing bases and diving in. And it was, like, truly incredible baseball. Like, the de- the Democrats pitcher, Cedric Richmond, was throwing curveballs out there. Who throws curveballs, first off, as a congressman? Second off, like, 
at an amateur baseball game, this guy's throwing curveballs and like inside sliders. It was incredibly impressive. And shout out to you know all the congressmen that played. Um, obviously, in the wake of the shooting of Representative Scalise, um, and uh, you know a lot of a lot of people really came together for this game. Um, and it was a really important moment, I think, for um, America as a whole to remember that as much as this is such a tough um, time in American politics and, you know, people are so divided and there's so much hateful rhetoric, um, it's hard to remember that, you know, these people are just people, that the congressmen are just um, people out here trying to have a good time and make better for America. Um, and I think that was readily apparent at the baseball game last night. Um, in which, you know, a bunch of old congressmen went out there and, you know, we're just playing America's, America's pastime. Uh, let's get to the actual topic of conversation. So, like we said, Alex, uh, the founder of a New Age media company, and they, he said they were founded after, I don't know exactly the year, but they are founded post-Obama's 2012 victory. So, uh, you know, very much coming up in the digital age, the age of Twitter, the age of Facebook, the age of Vine, you know, the way that people consume content, uh, has changed dramatically in the last uh, decade or so, and they've really been at the forefront of that with you know the sort of media and content they're creating. They're hard to describe because they do so much, um, but you know they have you know a section for very hard hitting journalism. For example, um, they scooped Neil Gorsuch, being the next Supreme Court nominee. Um, one of their reporters was the first person to get an exclusive with Secretary of State Tillerson on um, his first trip to abroad to Asia. Um, but they also have you know, a different side to them, you know, a more new age millennial side to independent journal review. Um, For example, I'm sure most of you, or many of you at the very least, have seen the video of Lindsey Graham destroying his cell phone, which was made right after Donald Trump gave his number out at a rally to thousands and thousands of people. Uh, they called up, Senator Graham was just like, hey, you want to destroy some cell phones? It happened in like 12 hours from what I understand. Yeah, they went to Walmart, bought like 12, like, like free prepaid phones or uh, those like cheapy kind, and then, you know, Lindsey Graham whipped out a golf club and a blender and set fire to one, I'm pretty yeah. sure. <laughs> and it was that must have been such a fun day, just watching Lindsey Graham just like destroy Apparently, I heard he was really into it. Like, he I, just had a fantastic time. Like, his aides had to be like, you need to calm down, sir. Or if all else fails, you can always give your number to the Donald. This is for all the veterans. I mean, if you handed me 20 cell phones and said destroy these all in fun and fascinating ways, I'd have so much fun with that. Like, I mean, it, it hits at all our, like, five-year-old selves. You always wanted to destroy things over here, yeah, you know? That's what they do. So that's Independent Journal Review. We just wanted to talk to him about, you know, A, you know, what is it like starting a new media company, especially uh, in this century, in this time, you know, when people are less likely to, uh, you know, watch a nightly news or pick up a newspaper, you know, uh, everything's on Twitter, everything's online. Everything's uh, on Twitter. Everything's on Twitter. Fact of life. Um, but also an era in which there's great distrust for mainstream media. And I, I think a little bit of that is fostered by uh, the administration we have in place. A lot of that's been fostered by fake news coming in from Russia and uh, you know some of those stories being uh, proliferated. It's also fostered by, to be fair, um, hyper-partisanship. Yeah, and people who see news outlets as not necessarily distributing the facts, but distributing the point their, of view. Yeah. yeah, their point of view. And I think that's a very, I'm, obviously I wasn't, I was born in the last 20 years, but I, I don't think that's, I think that's new. 
um, and something that America is still trying to contend with in, in a day and age where um, in a day and age where you can get news at you know 140 characters or less that's a really easy thing to do yeah couldn't agree more and you know I think we found literally the first perfect person to talk about that yeah. that is Alex Cattell so unless you have any more no God, we, we need to stop talking we really need to stop talking without further ado Mr. Alex Scatell, who uh, does not like to be called Mr. Scatell, as we learned. It is just Alex. So without further ado, Alex. Uh, we've talked about having you on this podcast for quite a while, so we're excited to finally get you here. Yeah, Alex has been a friend of geopolitics uh, ever since its inception, so we're excited to welcome you to our flagship podcast and yeah, uh, bring you closer into the family. I'm excited to be here, fly on the wall. I've been a fly on the wall listening to you guys chat it up there. <laughs> it's been fun to hear all these stories, but excited to be here. Awesome. Well, you bought into our message. That's half the battle. Right. So we'll, uh, we'll get started, and we'll be flies on the walls you've been inside of, inside those rooms, and... Uh, we have some things we'd like to talk to you today. Uh, I guess the first uh, train of conversation we'd like to start with uh, is you're the founder of Independent Journal Review, IJR, uh, and that's a relatively new media outlet, if I'm not mistaken. So I, I guess the very first question is uh, when you sat down and you were like, I want to start something new, right? I want to create a media outlet, you know, something very new, something fresh, something that engages people in a different way. Um, what need in the media market did you identify uh, that you were trying to fill? And tell us about how you went about, you know, brainstorming ways to fulfill it. Yeah, so I, I think um, I was talking a little bit about my, my story earlier. Um, there wasn't one moment where I was like, Eureka, this is it. I found it. I figured it out. This is going to be the plan. Um, it sort of evolved and evolved and evolved. I kind of had a, an idea of where I wanted to go, but how I actually would facilitate getting there has been, um, has, has, has taken all different kinds of, uh, of turns left and right. Um, actually when I was in college, my, and I, and this is, it's just an interesting story. I was, I was telling earlier when I was in college, my major was construction science. And <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a mix of engineering and management, but it basically okay. means I spent every summer out on construction job sites, moving doors, oh. hammering nails, it, I was just a, a laborer out on the construction sites. Very different from what you do science, now. And science and engineering are not words we're familiar with here in Georgetown. <laughs> not friends of the pod. No. Um, <laughs> and, but just like that, I mean, I, I, I graduated into 2008 into the uh, the real estate collapse and then kind of a, a broad, had right. broader implications. And so there wasn't really opportunities in the field I'd chosen. So I was pivoting and pivoting and um, had a knack for development, iPhone app development, and, um, and had done some work in political campaign, just kind of volunteering for free, um, had an iPhone app I launched that did really well. It was kind of the first version of Heads Up, which is now, oh. um, it was called iShout, and um, it did really well, and ended up kind of landing me on a, um, in an interesting spot on a campaign, and then got recruited to come to the RGA. Long story short, um, ended up at the RGA, and uh, at 22, I was their digital director. And um, I, I can remember just feeling completely 
out of place when I was in my first <laughs> meeting and basically the whole time I was there and sitting across from a governor like having to advise him on digital strategy. <laughs> wow. Um, it was this is an iPhone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but well, at that time, iPhones were brand new. Right. Facebook didn't even have pages. Oh, wow. They didn't have a Facebook page with something that was brand new. It's literally square one there. <laughs> yeah. And so that was actually, for me, the big advantage was being there first, having constituents that I had to help these senators and governors reach, both at the NRSC and RGA, and understanding through my role in digital media, that there was a shift that was happening and how news was consumed and how communications would work, how you could reach constituents. You, you damn well better be online. You right. better have a presence. You, and you can, frankly, build your own social media presence that could rival your local news organization. So it's convincing senators and governors to do this and recognizing that there was an opportunity, especially among the constituents that they were reaching. There were a lot of digital media companies that were popping up um, BuzzFeed, Vox, Vice, Mike, you know, you name it, they all sort of spoke to the same exact audience, urban millennials. Mm. But it's a big country. There's a lot of people out there. And I had a very early understanding of how to identify an audience, grow it, and reach it with compelling storytelling. And if you can take political stories and make them interesting to people, that's a really tough thing to yeah. do. And um, got to be very good at that. That's what I was trained in, that's what I learned. And um, so I think it was an evolution of, of that understanding. And um, when I was at the NRSC, I, uh, I took some money from my paycheck and would experiment with building my own Facebook pages mm. and how you could distribute news through those. And um, it was just continued evolution. Eventually I decided, you know, I had a friend that was looking for a job. I, uh, I had an idea, I could launch a site and monetize some storytelling and, and aggregation. Um, and so hired him. I think I paid him 2500 a month. He started a website <laughs> called BubbaFindsAJob.blogspot.com. Oh, wow. And I was trying to help him find a job, and no one would hire him because his name was Bubba. <laughs> and so I was like, look, just come. I've got this idea for a site. I really, I know how to, I know how to reach audiences. Like, I've really got this figured out. We'll just throw an AdSense unit on there, and I'll pay 2500 a month. Um, and let's try this thing out. And so he was looking for a job. I was like, sure, I'll try it out. Um, and so that just evolved uh, until we were doing well enough that we could add a couple of freelancers. And I still had a full-time job. Um, and then at the end of the cycle, it was doing well enough where I could support myself and, um, and still support a team. And so just continue to grow it. So it's a different kind of story. I think most of the stories of media companies are either there's a massive amount of venture capital from kind of a celebrity. Sure. There's either like a celebrity attached to it or a billionaire. Going on to Huffington, we're talking right. about there. <laughs> right. And then they get, the celebrity will go, they'll be able, because they're famous, they can go raise hundreds of millions of dollars right. and apply that towards their business. Or you have a billionaire that comes in, Bezos or someone else, mm -hmm. and buys a media company. I think this is a really unique circumstance where no one handed me anything. We've been profitable every year. We've grown organically. And um, we've tried to balance kind of the needs of being profitable with also wanting to build a brand and elevate and grow towards something in the future. That's a really tricky thing to balance. And um, uh, I think we've done a pretty good job. Um, and here we are today, we get 30 million uniques a month. We've wow. co-hosted a presidential debate. Um, we have reporters at the White House. We're White House credentialed. Um, we're congressional credentialed. And those are things they, or, or a founding member of um, 
the News Media Alliance, their new, uh, when they rebranded. We are a member of DCN. Um, we are a member of the Trust Project, Facebook Journalism Project. So we've gotten um, not just this massive audience, but we tried to really think about how we do storytelling in a different way. We did a lot of that last cycle through our videos where we would take and humanize these politicians. And I think you're right. seeing now um, how important it is that the media does more of that. There's been so much time turning these guys into villains and they're just human beings. And uh, I think we did that last year really well with whether it was Lindsey Graham kind of destroying his cell phone. <laughs> You're jumping ahead. We have, we have that on, okay. the, on the agenda. No, but this is great to talk about. <laughs> and, um, uh, or Martin O'Malley we had yeah. do a video with us where oh. he's playing guitar on the streets of right. New York trying to beg for money. Front of the pod, Martin O'Malley. Front of the pod. <laughs> yeah, he's great. I mean, just a lot of fun working with these guys. And you realize, guys and girls, you realize that they're human and they're, they have, there's a lot of good in, in what they want to do. And um, I think we focus so much on the negative. The media just rushes in to point out anything negative they can on politicians and make, make life really miserable for them. But a lot of them have good intentions. Um, they just are very poorly communicated. And right. um, I, think, I think yesterday was a good example with a congressional baseball game where you can see that these guys, they care about their country, they care about each other, um, and they may have policy differences um, but for the most part, they're good people who want to do the right thing. And that's what I, I love about Georgetown Institute of Politics is, is that something that's embraced, uh, Mo embraces and what this program embraces. Right, exactly. And something so, you said there really strikes a chord. Uh, when you talk about trying to take politics, right, something that a lot of Americans and people, frankly, around the world turn off from and aren't yeah. really engaged in, and trying to tell those stories in an engaging way. I mean, that's kind of what we try to do here on the podcast is sort of bring to life politics in a new and engaging way. So uh, when you said that, I, I just had to mention that uh, we share the same mission, even though uh, we have some videos and a new new uh, a new website and a podcast and different forms. New microphone? New microphone. Pointing down? Crazy. We're all, <laughs> pointing down. We're, we're all investing in our own ways. Yeah. Um, but we're just doing it two different ways. I yeah. think that's really amazing. I think Aaron brings up a good point, too, is that there's so many different avenues for storytelling. And IJR does so many different ways of telling a story. You know, right. um, you talked a little bit about the video series, but you guys also have, um, you know, some incredible scoops, some incredible journalism. So how do you balance the two? And, you know, how do you create, you know, a single cohesive brand um, and a different way of telling a story? Or do you really need to uh, in this day and age? I think that's that's definitely hard to do. I think um, it's easy to find one story that you don't like. The, I think the analogy I use is don't burn down the library because you don't like a few books. Mm -hmm. You may not like a story here or there, but you have to look at the organization as a whole. What are they trying to do? What do they represent? And um, I think for the most part, what we've really tried to do is introduce and highlight the human side of policy and find the stories hidden in plain sight um, and have fun with this and um, take some of the sting out, take some of the vitriol out what's really going on and um and i think we've done a great job of that and we've had like you mentioned some big scoops we got the uh we broke the story on who the supreme course, court yeah, yeah supreme yeah. court nominee was going to be we get the exclusive with uh, secretary of state his first mm -hmm. interview um hopefully we'll have more to come but uh, we've definitely invested in not just the video side not just the social side but also the original reporting side and that's what we've done um having a congressional reporter and a White House reporter. We're about to have some fun again here on the Hill. We have our annual Cutest Dogs on the Hill contest <laughs> where no uh, we have 33 um, dogs that work on the Hill. 
that uh, we've profiled. And it comes out, it, it's our competitor to the hills, 50 most beautiful people. Yeah, I um, love it. Ours <laughs> is the cutest dogs. And then we're going to have a red carpet event where we invite the, the staffers and the senators and congressmen and the dogs. That's so much fun. Um, and it's, been, it's just been a great chance for, uh, for people to see that these are human beings. Yeah, I didn't know that animals were allowed into the halls of Congress. Oh, yeah. I interned on the Hill last semester, and there's the cutest dog. I forget whose office it was. you got to let us know. Right yeah, right. Come on. I genuinely don't remember the name of the member. I feel so bad. It was Cannon. Uh, you remember the name of the dog. That's the important part. Mm. Or what kind of dog it was. Mm. You know what? I'll get back to you on that. I actually, we have an intern group mate, and I can find out exactly what that dog's name was. That but, dog's got to win. Anyway, but we visit him every day after, or her, we visit the dog every day after work. Uh, and it, it is just so much fun seeing those little furry creatures. So props to you guys. I didn't know you guys did that. That's awesome. Um, so IJR recently as well um, has, you know, come out with, you know, a counterpoint series. Yeah. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that. Talk to us about um, how you guys are trying to, you know, break the bubble of uh, journalism that we get into so much these days. Yeah, so we recognize that we have, we sort of were born reaching an audience in the heartland and had a lot of really strong conservative storytellers. Um, but we think it's important that no matter where you are, if you're in uh, an urban area and you're more progressive or you're in the heartland, you're more conservative, it's important to have a diversity of opinions that uh, you're exposed to. And so we think it's our responsibility to help facilitate that. So we created this channel called The Response. Um, and then we have a conservative channel called The Declaration. And what we're trying to do, the goal is um, with our next site launch, and one, one thing we've already built in with these widgets is the ability where if we have a story from a conservative commentary point of view, we have a liberal commentary point of view with the response. So we've hired a guy, Tommy Christopher. He was um, an editor at Share Blue and was um, before that White House reporter at Mediate. Um, and we'll be building out a team for that channel. And uh, on the other other side, we have Jason Howerton, um, who was the managing editor of The Blaze. He's now the editor of The Declaration. So we have that team, and then we have a breaking news team um, and then original reporting. And the idea is with every story, we want to lay out the facts and then have the most compelling commentary on the right, the most compelling commentary on the left, and let people be exposed to everything. I think that's great. Yeah, especially in, in times like this where, you know, it's very easy to get your news siloed. Yeah. I, I like the idea of sort of having them talk to each and other. And do it transparently. Yeah. I think one of the challenges is everyone tries to present that their news is unbiased. Fair and balanced. Yeah. Fair and balanced. <laughs> I mean, but it's across the spectrum. Mm -hmm. right. And every almost every piece of news now that's not just the AP or Reuters has some perspective. Mm -hmm. There's some uh, some viewpoint, some analysis. So what we're saying is that's there's nothing wrong with that. Sure. Just let people know. You're part of a conservative commentary group, you're part of a liberal commentary group, and then let our users help facilitate what's the what's the most interesting response or uh, or statement on the right and left that we should have uh, at the top of the list that our users will be exposed to. Right, and this is fascinating, I want to get back to it, but real quick, I, I called in my friend Keith, who worked on the Hill, oh, right. and the dog's name was Oliver, and uh, the office was Jim Bridenstine from Oklahoma. Okay, you'll have to email that to me. Yeah, I'll send that over to you. Um, I'll make sure he makes the list. All Oliver was so sweet. Hopefully, and it's not too late. <laughs> we'll, try, we'll try to slide him in. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. Let's see what we can do. He's the best. <laughs> anyway, do you want to get back to the point? Because I'm like, yeah, um, totally off on the. I think. Right here. I think what you're talking about is fascinating because you're right. There's 
you know, a lot of journalism isn't exactly transparent with, you know, their views. And um, even today, you know, most uh, most journalists, most a lot of journalism isn't even okay with, you know, making a correction. And when they do, it's so, um, you know, it's, it's so siloed off. So talk to us about, you know, how IJR fits into that and the mission of IJR, you know. Um, how different are you guys? And are you guys the new era of journalism? Or is it, you know, just something different? Uh, you know, where do you guys fit in with everything that goes on? Yeah, so... What we pride ourselves on, what we say is experience the news. So we're, we think it's really important that we're elevating voices of people that are part of the story. Um, a lot of storytelling and journalism has always been the kind of the, a group of people who live in New York City or in D.C. who parachute into these small towns and broadcast to America what their perspective is on what's happening in this small town. Mm. Um, I don't think that that is the best way to approach it. I think it's much better to work with, a, listen to a community, listen to people that were there and let them tell their story. And one of the things that you have available now with social media is that's become more and more of the standard. You have an ability to, uh, to listen to those communities and for them to provide feedback. And so we, we like that we have amazing storytellers here in Capitol Hill, but a lot of our reporters are spread out across the country. And we're also trying to elevate first-person perspectives of stories as they happen. <clears throat> and not just from the vantage point of a reporter who flies in from D.C. or New York, but from someone that isn't maybe a writer, but wants to tell an interesting story from their viewpoint in Kansas or Iowa or, you know, California or whatever. Right. Uh, I want to pivot just a little bit and talk about this specific political so since the 2016 election, coming into 2017, um, you know, you can make an argument that people have been siloed for, you know, it's been a growing trend. But specifically with this administration and, and sort of the uh, feelings towards journalism that have been spreading since his election, uh, talk to us a little bit about how you've re-strategized to reach people in a different way or to change your message or just sort of cut through some of the actual distrust of journalism and journalists. Has there been any effort to sort of, you know, change the way you, you approach uh, some of your storytelling or some of the ways you reach audiences uh, just based on this distrust? Well, I think for us, we were sort of, we didn't exist even in the 2012 election. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, so we've kind of always come at it from a social media standpoint where we're listening and we're, uh, we're doing storytelling that uh, is connecting with audiences on social. And we're very cognizant of our ability to do that because we're using data to inform um, if we're successful in that or not. So I think for us, uh, it's less of a concern because we were sort of born in an era where you can, you're able to listen to audiences sure. and you put that in the center of the newsroom. I think for news organizations that have never had to be, never had that feedback mechanism, that was the frustration for a lot of the heartland is there wasn't that feedback. They had no ability to provide feedback on a story they were listening to or watching because in, in a broadcast medium, it's just one way. And when you're a reporter and you're writing for a newspaper, you write a story, it goes to print, and you have no idea if anyone even right. liked like, it, if they didn't like it, if they, they cared about it. it. Yeah, right, you, you don't know. Mm -hmm. So you care about what your peers think and your colleagues think in the press gallery. And I think that became... The challenge is they just became more and more disconnected from, and especially as national news, the most of the news people were getting was concentrated in two cities, 
it wasn't just your local newspaper where there was some ability to provide feedback because you at least lived in that community. Mm-hmm. When the heart, I think the heartland just got so frustrated because they were getting all of their news from a place that had no idea what their concerns were and had no ability to listen. It wasn't anyone's fault. They just, mm-hmm. it was a broadcast medium. And so I think now um, one of the, the beauties of social media is that it's that two-way communication. And I think all the news organizations are going to start getting better at listening because as they move to social media, there is that mechanism now for the viewer to provide instant feedback. And they're all, everyone's paying attention to that. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess taking a step back and looking at the bigger picture, uh, what do you see, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the line as the future of media? Is it sort of the model you guys have pioneered? Is it something different? Yeah, do you think, think this is the end for... I think it'll be something different. I think that the future, if you look 10, 20, 30 years from now, I think media brands will matter much less. Mm-hmm. And I think individuals will be elevated. And mm-hmm. you'll say, I trust that reporter. I may not trust where they write, but I trust that reporter. And I think Twitter has sort of allowed, we've started to see this yeah. transition yeah. now where you're like, oh, I love, you know, I, I, Jim Acosta, Jake Jim Tapper. Acosta, yeah, Jake Tapper. Yeah, yeah, they're they're great reporters. Uh, I may not care for, you know, IJR, but I like this reporter. I may not care for New York Times, but I like Maggie Haberman. And I think that's yeah. that trend is going to continue. The one uh, stumbling block now, the one thing holding it back from just the floodgates pouring in is there's no way for these reporters to monetize their influence on these social media platforms yet. So they're sort of bound to these news organizations. And I think you'll see in the next 10, 20, 30 years, there will be uh, products in place that allow them to be their own media brand and not have to work through a filter of a news organization. They'll just work for themselves. Hmm. And I think we're sort of, uh, the best way to put it is we're in the Napster era of news. (laughs) <laughs> and Twitter is Napster. Yeah, it's just yeah. this free, anything goes platform. Consumption, yeah. And uh, all the news organizations are funding it. They are funding its content. Mm-hmm. They just don't know it, but all their best stuff is just going for free onto Twitter. Yeah. And it's sort of like the Napster era of music, where every you know the the record labels were all funding great music to go into Napster, where everyone downloads it for free. Um, and I think the news organizations haven't quite come around to this idea yet that, hey, you're giving away all of your it's best. It's like you read the article. Yeah, you just get the tip that you need on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Well, not only that, it's like a more interactive experience. Mm-hmm. It's more personal. It's more fun on Twitter. Right. right. You can see Glenn Thrush all day is replying <laughs> to all of the people who disagree with them. Yeah. Right. So in my view, I think 10, 20, 30 years and something I would love to focus on and help facilitate and build is that whatever that platform looks like Mm. where we're transitioning from everyone just giving everything away to having like a more trustworthy uh, and personal experience with the information and the people behind the information. That's interesting you say that because that's something I've never thought about before, but something I've realized I do on a daily basis is, you know, who I follow on Twitter isn't necessarily, you know, every single Washington Post reporter, but it's people of that, you know, that institution that I like or uh, yeah. and you're right that feedback that you were talking about earlier on that you guys are doing at IJR is definitely something you see on Twitter all day um, yeah well I think one of the reasons we like that as a medium and that is the ways to consume our information because it, not only do we 
get to hear from you know, Jake Tapper, Philip Rucker, like someone giving us news, but we also get to hear you know their commentary. We get right. to hear them go back right. and forth with Twitter trolls right. and people who are you know in their view wrong or disagree with them. So I guess that raises raises another question about you know can we if we do move to that sort of model, you know, just journalism as a profession, as a uh, as you know, finding the truth and, and having it backed by facts and having it peer reviewed and having it edited, do, do we lose some of that quality by going to this model of just independent people putting out you know news? And well, I think, it, I think it depends. I think you're going to have to whatever the platform is will have to do a good job of sorting that Screening, out. I mean, it's yeah. just like eBay or even Uber, like <laughs> yeah. you know, Uber. There's some level of like, do they have a driver's license? Yeah, right. And four point nine star, four point eight stars. Yeah. What's their star rating? And if they drop below four point five, like you're not. Yeah. Wow. See it. I don't. I'm not giving that car. Four point seven. Anything below four point seven is scary. What's your rating? Me. me? I'm a five star. Yeah. No way. I am a five. I've I, never met a five star. I am. I am like a four point eight on Lyft. I okay. I'll tell you. <laughs> it, last time I checked was a couple months ago. But I'm gonna be honest. I've never once looked at my Uber. So you have to check it out. I am a wonderful driver, especially after what was that Uber driver's name that we talked about? I am last impressed. Weekend? If you're a five star. Kofi, uh, this guy we took, uh, <laughs> so we, we put ourselves in a storage unit for the summer. Uh, we went to go get... No, it was Henry. That was Henry. Henry. I'm 4.75 for the record. I don't feel like that's very good. <laughs> that's not great, dude. That's, that's like. not bad. No, but we go we go to the storage unit. We, we get there. We realize that we left the key at a friend's house all the way back in Georgetown. So we get out of the Uber, and we're like, all right, we got to Uber back to Georgetown. We request the oh, Uber, and it's the so same nice. guy. Henry comes. He literally drops us off, ends the ride. Goes, does a lap, comes right back and picks us up. I'm like, I gave the guy two rides. If I don't have five stars for that, <laughs> I, uh, I, I really am going to be shocked. Go back. You're like, it should be right there. I haven't done it. You're, no, yet. you idiot. Where? <laughs> it's right there. 4.88? <laughs> oh, wait. Ooh, I'm a liar ooh. on this podcast. No, 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 no. no. It, I was a five before they did this app update. Because I used to, because remember we had to you go know, Henry probably, probably gave it four stars. Henry. It probably was Henry, because I made him. Henry. I'm not gonna share mine. I'm gonna. <laughs> you can get it really? No, I don't. I don't actually. I haven't looked at it in a while. Oh, you gotta check. I might be maybe on five on Lyft. I swear, perfect five. Yeah, you think you're amazing at everything, don't you? <laughs> wow, that's really upsetting. I wish I could validate it myself. <laughs> on that. Either note. way, but I mean, I think back to the point. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think whatever the the platform is, we'll have to do some of that. Um, they'll have to sort out how legitimate is this this news source, this information source, what can I trust? And maybe some kind of like trust metric will be what defines huh. um, what what information you get. And hopefully it doesn't turn into, I don't know if you've seen Black Mirror. Like that, oh my God. That first That's, episode where they I, start rating Yeah, that, mm, <laughs> that brings me a lot of thoughts. And I know that's where we're going to end up in our lives. Uh, for, for context to the, yeah, the audience, context, um, there's an episode of Black Mirror, which is basically like a new age Preacher. Twilight Zone. It's uh, it's, yeah. it's an incredible show, but you can't watch it for more than like an hour in one episode <laughs> because you'll get really creeped out. But there's an episode where um, every it's like slightly in the future and everyone is rated out of five stars, quite like you get in Uber. Wow. And um, people who like, um, it's the classes, you know, like there's a class structure based off of your star rating and people, you know, <laughs> desire five stars because that gets you nicer houses or apartments or nicer friends so are the better people five stars or is it yeah it, track it, that's kind of what you find out later right and uh it's a question of you know like is being five stars like the best possible person you could be or are you fake yeah and uh it's this girl's quest for five stars and she ends up uh you know like 
making one person angry and it all snowballs and it just shows you know like in on one hand the pettiness of human beings and on the other hand like our desire for more and you know to be rated and it's I'd be the best five star. Not even gonna lie. Well, that that'd be your problem. As long as there's no Henry, I'd be a five star person in Black Mirror. Highly recommend Black Mirror if anyone yeah, wants to watch. Great show. We gotta get them to sponsor now, right? <laughs> That's how we monetize. Presenting sponsor. <laughs> a fly on the wall. Uh, anyway, uh, Alex, I know you have to run, um, but we really appreciate you being it's on the podcast. Great. Appreciate you. Um, we've learned a ton, yeah. uh, including uh, what to look forward into in IJR and whether or not Oliver will be. Uh, you know, the Fingers winning team. Oliver. We're going to have to, we're going to have to, you know, send you a bunch of emails to make sure Oliver gets up there. We're going to follow up on that. Okay. Thank you so That's much. We really appreciate yeah, your insight. Yeah, thanks again. Thanks for coming in. Awesome. Great. Why does it take two presses? Get to prime it. What's priming it? Like, it has to, yeah, it will check the volume levels to make sure that the mics are plugged in correctly, and then the in second the, press is what? In the 0.4 seconds between when I press it the first time and press it the second time? Well, you can tell that, yeah, because it starts flashing. Right. You have What's, to press it again to make it start recording. It's recording, right? Yes. Like, but, it's counting up on the time? I mean, the light is red. Yeah, but is the time actually going up? Yeah! Oh, we're good. We're 32 seconds. I'm just wondering, like, why the priming exists. Like, um, so fun fact, it actually starts recording before, like, if you press a button, it, like, captures the first, like, second before you press the button. Mm, I don't like that. So, it's actually background recording with, while it's flashing, so that's why you're priming it. So you're telling me that the thing is listening to me before I told it to listen to me? Yes. That's black. But it only hell. but it only captures truly captured. It's it's listening to you the same way that Alexa is always listening okay, to you. Okay, but Alexa is listening to me. <laughs> like she's she's hearing things. And same with Siri. Why can you suddenly say, hey Siri, and she's like, what's up? What is she listening she's to? She's always listening to you. This is why Black Mirror had to be made. That's my point. Is like these kind of like technological advances that create a Black Mirror type world in which we have to spend a podcast talking about Black Mirror. Like a whole podcast? Okay, no. But I'm saying- I'd have some... to like listen, I'd have to watch it. Yeah, you really do. You would be freaked out by it though. I don't think you'd like it. Dude, I got freaked out by botulism. Yeah. So, <laughs> funny story to our listeners. Uh, <laughs> I guess we're just rolling with this. Now. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where we're going to be at in this podcast because we're just talking at some point. But Aaron? So we, we bought some ice cream. It's so funny, you're laughing. Uh, so we bought some ice cream one time uh, from Trader Joe's. Great place to get food for the record. No, it's not. It's the presenting awful. sponsor of Fly on the Wall is Trader Joe's. Hey, Trader Joe's. Just kidding, they don't pay us enough. Anyway, so uh, we went to Trader Joe's. Whole Foods. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we went to Trader Joe's, um, got this ice cream, walked back in like the heat for like 20 minutes. The ice cream was kind of melted by the time we got back. We put it in our freezer. Our freezer was pretty terrible, so it didn't freeze it all the way. Long story short, we pull out the ice cream and it's like kind of, you know, like soft and milky-ish. And Aaron is looking at me and he's like, ah, it's fine to eat. And I was like, hey, Aaron, what about botulism? And Aaron goes, what's botulism? And I then explained the question. It's a fair point. Um, and I then explained to him, you know, botulism is in fact, you know, this disease that comes about when you don't freeze something all the way. To which point Aaron freaked out, 
texted like every single person we knew who has ever taken a biology class and asked them if botulism is something we should be worrying about. And I told him, it's not, you're gonna be fine. Even if you get botulism, it'll be like whatever. It'll be like a light thing of botulism, you know? Uh, to which point Aaron like would not eat this ice cream until our friend Gab, shout out you Gab if you're listening, texted him and said, honestly, ice cream is so, you know, preservative heavy that it doesn't matter. Uh, that like, honestly, you're not even, you know, eating anything, uh, just eat it, you'll be fine. To which point Aaron went to town on this ice cream <laughs> and ate a ton of it. After getting one text from a girl who was taken, you know, I'm sure Gab's really smart and, you know, really into biology, but like, she's not a doctor. <laughs> Long story short, Aaron was very worried about botulism and is now not worried about botulism. Um, and he may die, he may not die, he may get a stomachache. You know, we're still waiting to see. Stay tuned. <laughs> Next week on Fly on the Wall. It's just Christian, because Aaron died of botulism. <laughs>